I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we do a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat. But that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 55 of Bro Bible's Endless Hustle. I am Bro Bible's Matt Cohan, and I am joined, as always, by the remarkable Arthur Cade. Arthur, how are you today? Remarkable. Excellent. We have an excellent episode today as we invite on a champion. So after we interviewed Mr. Kyle Bush, he went out and won Kansas. So that might be the endless hustle bump. Who knows? We also have country superstar Dustin Lynch, who brought a whole nother element to the show. I enjoyed myself. I hope you did too, Arthur. Yeah, I mean, this endless hustle bump is real, man. This is like the fourth or fifth occurrence that we've had where someone that we've interviewed, something really good has happened to. People are always coming to us and they're like, oh my God, how are you getting these monster names? I have a whole new pitch. Forget our usual pitch. I'm just going to be like, do you want your actor to win an Oscar? Do you want your NASCAR driver to win a race? Do you want your NBA player to go win a championship? Because Everything we touch, Matt, turns to gold. Kyle Bush is another example of it. No, I'm obviously just kidding. Or am I? But no, pretty exciting stuff. Kyle Bush, fresh off his win at Kansas Motor Speedway. He joined us for an incredible chat. I mean, this guy's a two-time NASCAR champion. One of the most popular, unique, and both revered and infamous drivers in the sport. And we had so much fun with him, talking about everything from the beginnings of his career and racing alongside his idol, Jeff Gordon, to creating Rowdy Energy, his very popular energy drink, to just career highlights, unique moments, his brother being in the sport alongside him, who also was a guest on Endless Hustle, Kurt Busch. And then our second guest, you'd mentioned him, country music superstar Dustin Lynch. These country music artists, you never know what you're going to get. And Dustin was so raw just talking about what it was like being a country star in the makings at the University of Georgia, his favorite tequila brands, and just life as a country music superstar. Because after that, I want to now learn how to play country music, Matt. The Endless Hustle Bump is going to make his new single, Thinking About You with Mackenzie Porter. It's going to make it multi-platinum. I'm very much convinced of it. And, but even when he started saying how he went, how he started doing the frat parties, he was making a few grand a night in college. That might as well be Elon Musk billionaire status. So, I mean, just hearing him talk about, you know, so endearingly about those roots that he had and where he is now and everything in between, it was, it was kind of inspiring from young Dustin Lynch. I mean, after hearing this, if you don't want to hang out with Dustin Lynch and just grab a couple tequilas with him, I don't know what's going to make you want to hang out with anybody on this planet. He's just the most likable, down-to-earth, cool dude on the planet. And Kyle was awesome, too. One thing I did also want to touch on with Kyle, which was more of a serious topic, but really incredible. We talked about, and he's been very public about his infertility battle that he's had to go through with his wife and the struggle that they dealt with and ultimately the victory that they were able to achieve. It's something that when you talk to an athlete about, it's not always an easy topic and he really dove into it. They're doing great work to help other couples dealing with the same type of struggle. So 
let's start it off with Kyle Busch. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Kansas Motor Speedway winner and two-time NASCAR champion Kyle Busch. All right, we are thrilled to invite on the Endless Hustle today, two-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, the one, the only, Mr. Kyle Busch. Kyle, thanks for making the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. How's it going, guys? What's up? Going well, man. Um, I, you know, I guess I guess want to kick this off. We'll get into the less important questions later, but you know, you're obviously nicknamed the Candy Man for your sponsorship with Mars. So, I got to ask, which Eminem reigns supreme? Are you a peanut guy? Are you more of a traditional guy? The world needs to know. I hear you. It's uh, it's always a tough question because they're all so good. And, um, you know, my favorite as a kid when I was growing up was always the crispy M&Ms. So essentially, it's kind of like a little rice crispy inside the, the chocolate coating and the candy shell, you know, so that was always my favorite growing up. But I still love those today as well, too. But what's interesting is my favorite favorite and, and being in with the candy people, I get to go to the candy shop and see where it's all made. And they have these naked M&Ms. And so they're basically just the peanut with the chocolate covering over it before the candy shell. And those are fantastic, like out of this world good. So those, you can't get them. Like you literally have to call the president or the CEO of the facility that's making them, not the store, in order to get them delivered because they, they won't do it for anybody. Did they yank the crispy M&Ms? I thought- I, No, they they're still around. Crispy's still around, crispy green, yeah. Because those were my favorite, and I think they brought in pretzel for a little bit, and I couldn't find the crispy, so. You're right. So when I was a kid, crispy was my favorite. It disappeared for a while, but they still kept it in Europe. And then, um, I don't know, this was probably 2015, matter of fact. 2015, they brought crispy back to the States, and it was green packaging. Um, but right around that same time frame, you know, you're talking about pretzel. Pretzel was brought in before crispy was, but they're all, they're all here now, supposedly. All right, Arthur, that's all I got, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, first of all, Kyle, we had your brother on months ago. He brought in his A-plus game, so we're expecting big things from you. That's number one. And number two, of all the ways we've ever started off one of these chats, M&M conversations has never been one of them. So we've definitely entered an unforeseen realm at this point. I, I feel like we're already starting on high praises here, so that's good. I appreciate that. You have become one of the most popular drivers, obviously, in the sport, if not the most popular driver, but you've built this really cool, almost villain-like persona. How much do you embrace that persona, and when did you realize you could build a brand around it? You know, it was pretty interesting early on in my days. You know, I don't know if Kurt brought it up, but I essentially came into the sport uh, behind Kurt, and Kurt was kind of making a brash name for himself and not so well-liked with the fan base. And so when I came in, being Kurt's younger brother... I already had a black eye. And so I was already in the negative light. So I was booed. My first driver introductions that I ever went to, I haven't turned a lap in NASCAR yet. And I was booed. So I was like, wait a second, I'm the other brother. Like I'm not Kurt, I'm Kyle, you know? So um, that was, that was the, the, the entry to NASCAR where I was kind of like, okay, there, I never thought that there could be something there with building this, um, this black hat persona for say, but um, went along with that for a couple of years, was trying to be good and wasn't really working anymore. So then I was like, you know what, forget it. I'll just be this brash kid from Vegas. Like I've always been anyways. And, um, I got a chance to race at a truck and the guy that I was driving for his primary truck number was 15. And I was running the second truck. He goes, well, what number do you want? And I said, well, flip it, just run 51. Your trucks are all black anyways. 
And I said, let's pay a little homage to the movie Days of Thunder with Rowdy Burns. And so Rowdy Bush was born and um, went out there and the Rowdy thing kind of stuck. And I was brash and I was kind of making a name for myself and sometimes winning races in non-such conventional ways. But uh, it's just kind of how it all rolled and um, been doing it ever since. And now there's a lot more to the Rowdy brand uh, in this day and age. Do the drivers end up embracing it like the fans and start getting on on you for it as well? I don't think so. No, not really. Not now. The fans definitely take it to a whole nother level than I think we do. Um, you know, like I try to go out there and I want to be a, a clean driver. I want to be a good racer. I want to be uh, someone that's fair. Um, I don't want to be one of the one that that's out there that's known as you know a guy that blocks everybody or runs over everybody or crashes somebody to just to get by him and whatnot. So. There's definitely, um, you know, those ways that you want to be known for and attributed for on the racetrack. And there's there's other guys, trust me, that they drive way worse than I do. Um, but, you know, have a different style than I do. But yet I'm kind of more known for uh, the black hat, if you will. I, I think it was in Chicagoland a few years back. You After you got booed, I think you said all noise is good noise. How comfortable are you being kind of the heel at this point at some point is it a good business decision for your brand because obviously you're the you're one of the most well-known figures in the sport so is that a good business decision after a while did you realize that you have to tread lighter on the villain side than you would the ally ally side you know and i say that because um i feel like you can do um a lot less wrong and you have a, a, a tighter rope to walk across than if you were on the other side you could do more wrong and get more leniency if you will whether the whether it be with the sanctioning body or with the fan base or or sponsors or whoever um but fact of the matter is is yeah i mean there was you know i wasn't the first guy to say that line that you said about any noise is good noise dale earnhardt was the first guy to say that noise so um, you know, his cash register was always ringing pretty loud at the, at the souvenir stands for years. And uh, a lot of people labeled him as the guy with the black hat. Recently, we've had a bunch of WWE icons on the show. And I know you're a big WWE fanatic and even a former 24 seven champ, which is so weird to even say getting in that ring. How, how brutal is that? I mean, what type of respect do you have for those guys and girls? I love it. I, I, you know, I, I've had my fair chance over the years to watch and, and pay attention. And, you know, I, I kind of grew up, I guess, in the, in the era of Hulk Hogan, you know, so him being one of the first guys, he was kind of like the Dale Earnhardt to me that really took it to the next level, uh, the whole wrestling. And then, um, you know, years of late, um, John, John Cena has kind of been uh, one of the guys that I've watched and, and looked at. And, and so it's been fun to pay attention to, um, you know, obviously our truth now is, is, the 24 seven champion who I defeated. And uh, we had some fun battling that out. So that was cool. But I respect those guys a ton, man. They put on a whale of a show and it, it's crazy. The, uh, the, 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 the wear and tear that their bodies will go through. Um, you know, I'm kind of friends with Pat McAfee as well too. So I know him and he's kind of been getting into that realm a little bit the past uh, couple of years and, and being a part of the show. So, um, you know, those guys, man, they, they put it on it. It's fun to watch. I've always been fascinated because obviously when you're dealing with full-time wrestlers, you can understand how they become so automatic with their craft that rehearsals and whatever can be essentially automatic. But for someone coming in for a guest appearance, how does that whole process work? Like Logan Paul just got stunnered and I'm like, my neck would have shattered if someone did that to me. So when, when you're going in for a guest appearance, what's the process like and how do they prep you? 
it's kind of hard because you're not in so ingrained. So you don't really know the storyline. And I feel like if you're going to be really, really good at being able to get into the storyline, you need like the past two years worth of where everything's kind of developed and where it's come from. And so kind of when you get thrown in for a one-off, you know, it, it's, it's pretty short, um, stick to the script and, and do your deal, you know, but uh, those guys are super cool uh, behind the stage, you know, they come back and they, they talk to you and they, kind of give you some pointers and some things to look for, some things to do, um, you know, and, and some of the moves and the maneuvers that you make, they kind of help run you through some of that stuff in order to make sure that not only are they safe, but you're safe and stuff like that to uh, put on a good show, but, um, you know, to, to make it worthwhile for television. You mentioned uh, Hulk Hogan. Did you have any other idols growing up, either within NASCAR or any other sport that kind of molded your persona or gave you the courage to kind of be uniquely you? Yeah, I mean, to me, when I was growing up, watched as a kid watching racing on TV, I always watched NASCAR stuff. And so when I really started paying attention to it, Jeff Gordon was kind of the new kid on the scene. And so I was watching Jeff Gordon. Um, obviously, you had Dale Earnhardt in there, Rusty Wallace, Mark Martin, Dale Jarrett, all those guys that uh, were competitors each and every year, Bobby Labonte, those guys that were winning the championships. And so you'd always kind of watch those guys and see what good tracks they had or how they kind of carried themselves off the track. And so um, Jeff Gordon was my favorite though. And he was my favorite from when I was a kid and always kind of dreamed of racing with Jeff Gordon, being Jeff Gordon's teammate. And lo and behold, when I made it to Hendrick Motorsports in 2005 in my rookie year, I was his teammate. There I was, I, I lived out my dream, you know? And so then it was, um, then it was about beating them and, and winning races and, and making it to that pinnacle of the sport. And, uh, from there, you know, it, there was a moment at Phoenix, I think it was 20, 2009 or 2010, um, Jeff and I were racing for a win in the Cup Series race. I was leading and it was under two, 10 laps to go and he caught me and he passed me and he won the race and I was going for three in a row. I was going for the weekend sweep of the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series that weekend and I lost by one spot to Jeff Gordon in the Cup race and I was so mad and just so pissed in that moment that after the race was over, you know, Jeff Gordon was like, oh my God, like, hell yeah, we beat Kyle Busch. And I'm like, wait a second, bro. Like you're Jeff Gordon. Like you're pumped and excited that you beat me, which at that point in time, I was winning 20 something races a year, you know? So it was, um, it was pretty, pretty cool to have that. Um, I guess that respect factor from, from Jeff and, and what that, what that meant to me versus losing to him in that day. Is there kind of like a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers? coldness when you come in as the young gun and you have an icon in front of you on the team is it like a, I'm a refusing to talk to Kyle Busch moment no those guys are always pretty open you know anytime you go to them with questions or go to them with um, things that you want to learn and, and pick their brains about they're always very forthcoming now whether or not you get 100% of the truth uh, that that's a different story you kind of got to you know read through the lines a little bit and, and the bullshit a little bit in order to kind of see what, what exactly you should be paying attention to. I can, I can imagine there's like hazing going on. Jeff's yeah. like, Kyle, go, go get me my Gatorade at the bodega down the street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, nothing that, not, nothing that extreme, but definitely. So there's an old trick in racing. So when we uh, try to make weight with our race cars, you have to maintain a certain weight of your car. Right. And so you put lead there's these lead blocks that you put in the car well when you're a new kid and you get hazed in our sport they'll tell a new kid hey go ask so and so for the long weight well the long weight is just a long weight like period of time 
not a weight. So, you know, a lot of guys have gone through that and uh, have, have, <laughs> have come out of that with a bit of a, a, sore, a sore thumb on that. It's pretty funny. Uh, Kyle, hopefully we're at the tail end of this pandemic here, but how different was it to race over the past year without fans? I'd imagine that being strapped in a loud race car reduces kind of the outside atmosphere. So the fan void isn't felt as much as it would in other sports. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's definitely been uh, different for sure. Way different, you know, uh, empty grandstands, not racing in front of fans, not having that, um, you know, that noise that's out there, whether it's cheers, whether it's booze, whatever it is, you know, and, and um, it, it's just different and, and it just doesn't feel right. But, um, you know, I kind of, I feel like I have not been as successful without the fans there. And it's maybe it's because I don't hear the the negativity as much. And, and I want to be able to go out there and put it in your face, like shut up, you know, so I need the fans back, you know, I, I need some of that negativity in order to be able to go out there and do my job maybe. So let's go open it up. I want to switch gears to a more serious and actually inspiring topic. Your wife has a new book out and you talk, she talks about the infertility struggles that you guys have dealt with. I want to talk to you about obviously your wife and you have done a lot of promotion around that and talked about that. What has been some of the feedback that you've gotten? Because that's that's a problem that as a middle-aged man, I even think about one day when I get married. What's been the feedback that you've gotten? It's been good, you know. Um, I've, I've Even before the book was written, but uh, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, Fighting Infertility, Samantha did a, an awesome job just kind of summarizing and putting out there for people what our story has been. And, and not only the, the struggles and the pain and the, and the tears and everything, but also the growth that her and I have gone through as well too in that experience. So, um, but I've heard a lot through people in our sport, outside of our sport, whether it's fans or media people or um, team members from other teams where they'll come up to me and say, hey man, thanks for sharing your story. Like my wife and I are going through the same thing or my brother and his wife were going through the same thing. You know, there's a, there's a connection there somewhere of infertility and not a lot of people talk about it or bring it up. Um, but, you know, there's also not a lot of help for infertility for how expensive it is. You know, there's not a whole lot of insurance coverage. There's not a lot of um, clinics out there that, um, you know, can not necessarily give you a deal, but let's just talk about how expensive it is. It's $25,000 to go through a round. Like, the average normal couple can't afford that. So to try to raise our foundation and build the bundle of joy further forward into what it is, we can go out and help more clinics and help more patients to be able to have their own uh, bundle of joy and have their own family grow, you know? So it's, it's big, it's a challenge. Um, you know, we continue to try to strive to, to put the news out there to raise money. And we've raised over a million dollars. Uh, we've got 36 babies born so far and, and we've got, um, you know, I think five more on the way right now for this year. So hopefully those will continue to come through and, and we can keep the, the foundation as a success. You've got to create the other end of the foundation now where the babies that are born, you turn them into race car drivers for your race car team. I don't need any of them taking my job, man. <laughs> well, someone who, who someone who may take your job is your son, by the way. Congratulations. That's pretty freaking cool. When did you realize you can throw him in a car and monetize him? He, uh, yeah, exactly. He's, um, he's, he's doing good. I mean, so during the pandemic, we were kind of free on Thursdays and Fridays and sometimes Saturdays. Like I literally would fly out on Sunday, go run a race and come right back home. So your whole weekend now is like, wow. I never realized there was life outside of racing, you know, so it's crazy. Um, but we took him to the racetrack a couple times and he started practicing in, a, in another guy's car. He let us borrow it. 
And then um, he's gotten better and better. And, and we've taken him to the racetrack. He's got sponsors now and he's won races already. So he's um, he's doing good, man. It's fun to watch. I mean, just the learning that he's gone through in, I don't know, he's been doing it eight months maybe is, is astronomical. And even me, like I'm kind of learning some things by teaching him. I'm learning of ways of teaching him to do certain things that it brings back memories to me. Like, oh, hey, I got to remember that for Sunday. Or, hey, I got to remember to do that this week. You know, you know, we're watching film. We're going over data. Like, we're looking at stuff in order to help them. And, and it's it's fun to do. What type of dad coach are you? Are you like Ricky Bobby's dad? Like, if you're not first, you're last? Or are you more more collaborative father? That, that has come out, yeah. I, I'm basically like, hey, if you're not first, you are last. And so, but not as bad as that, I'd say. But Because I didn't have to teach that. That was already in the DNA and, and given to him from birth where when he finished his second man, he hates it. I mean, he is just mad, madder than mad about finishing second. So I have no idea where he gets that from. It must be his mom. How um, about you, when he finishes second, are you like, good job, son? Or are you just not talking to him the whole car ride home? No, I, I, no, I tell him good job. Like if we're running up front and he does his job and he runs good and he does what he can, what he can do, I'm like, hell yeah, man, that was awesome. You did a good job. You ran hard, like you tried, you tried to pass the guy. You know, but when he goes from like the front row and falls to fifth and they only transfer four, it's kind of like, damn it, dude, like you were in position. You can't lose positions and fall out and not be mad about that. You know, so that's that's where we're we're, we're working right now on getting that better. I'm curious about your any pre-race routines you have. Can you run us through any if you have any particular meals or superstitions that come into play on race day? I used to, but man, I've had to get rid of them all because I can't keep track. You know, it's like, do you, do you wear long socks or short socks? You know, do you put on the right foot shoe before the left foot shoe? Or in sometimes you're like, man, wait, I won today. Did I put my right on first or my left on first? You don't even remember. So it's like, I just have to forget about that stuff and, and try not to pay attention to it. But, um, you know, typical pre-COVID, you know, race day mornings, you, you wake up, you're in a motor home at the racetrack, so you don't have to drive and fight traffic coming in. So you just stay there. So you wake up, you eat breakfast, and then you have some hospitality runs that you do sometimes one, sometimes five, you know, you're running around seeing sponsors and, and people depending on the venue that you're at. And then you go to the driver's meeting, you have a driver's meeting, and then you go back to the, the motor home, you eat lunch or dinner, depending if it's a day race or a night race. And then um, I'll go from there to my hauler and I'll, I'll pre-brief with my crew chief and my engineers about the race plan and kind of what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're strategizing for the day. And uh, I'll get dressed and go out to driver intros and then go to the car, get in and race. You know what I mean? So that's a typical uh, race morning. Is there a sports figure from another sport where you met and you were starstruck by? Yeah. Um, I would, I, I just maybe, not, yeah, starstruck a little bit, but I'm kind of one of those where I get bombarded a lot. And so like some of the fandom that happens is cool. Like it's, it's, I'm, I'm cool with it. It's no problem, but um, I don't want to come across as that to one of those guys. So I'm kind of like the more like laid back, chill. If they want to come up and talk, like we'll talk, but I'm not just, I'm not going to go up and fangirl nobody. So, um, but one of those was, I was on the sidelines of a, um, of a Broncos game and John Elway and I, we've kind of befriended each other over the years. And cause I've been a Broncos fan since I was a kid, since I met John Elway for the first time getting a football signed when I think I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, something like that. And um, you know, when I was on the sidelines with John, here comes Peyton Manning, he's, he's retired, but here comes Peyton Manning walking up, you know, he still lives in Denver 
And so that was one of the ones where I was just like, all right, just play it cool, just chill. Like, you know, if he wants to talk to me, he'll talk to me. Like, we'll figure this out. So Elway was like, hey, Kyle, have you met Peyton? And hey, Peyton, here's Kyle, you know, which we've met once before at a race. He came to a, a Bristol one time and was with Nationwide with Dale Jr. And so we, we talked a little bit there and we talked a little bit at the football game. So that's probably one of those. I love how he just compared it. That sounded like me picking up a girl at a bar, like, you know, just play cool. You know, and meanwhile, it's Peyton Manning right in front of you. It's like, I'd be like, Peyton, I love you. Yeah, sweaty palms. Exactly. I was like, yeah, I mean, my, my pickup line is, yeah, we wear the same number. Wait, <laughs> or is that gay? Like, which one? <laughs> you you'd mentioned John Cena earlier, and he's in the news because they just released the new Fast and the Furious trailer, which right. is absolutely ludicrous. It's like each movie gets more and more ludicrous and over the top. When you see some of these car movies, these racing car movies, especially Fast and Furious, what are your thoughts? I, I love it. I just kind of like to see cool cars and stuff like that. I mean, it's always not true 100% of what the car is or what it can do or whatever. I'm sure many of the scenes that are shot, they're probably running at 20 miles an hour, but it shows on TV like they're going 160 miles an hour or whatever, you know, but I, I love it. You know, the, the whole... Uh, the whole playthrough of all the Fast and the Furious movies, I mean, it's 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 fun to watch and pay attention to. And, um, you know, I, I, I love checking those movies out. Obviously, you kind of talk about um, Days of Thunder was a bit of a, a pay to NASCAR back in the early 90s. And then we had the, the next one, which was 2000, which was Ricky Bobby. Um, so that one was was a little bit more tailored towards the funnier side and, and making fun or picking jokes at what we do. And I still remember it to today. One of my favorite lines of that movie, and I even I pick on my wife about it sometimes. Is um, you know was was the driver's wife, Ricky Bobby's wife at the time, was like, "I'm a driver's wife. I do not work." And so I I pick on my wife about that every once in a while, and she goes, "Wait, are you saying that's me?" And I'm like, "No, not at all, honey. Really, I mean, she works her butt off. I I'll, I'm going to admit she she's probably one of the most working wives there is. But it's definitely funny that you can kind of see that similarity between some of the other ones that are out there. Oh, that's a one-way ticket to the guest room right there, if I said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. I just won't tell her we did this. <laughs> she's going she's gonna to find her own John C. Riley. Yeah. <laughs> her own shake and bake competitor. I want to talk to you about the stunt drivers, because when you see some of the stuff these guys or girls can do, it's, it's just mind-blowing. How do you think the stunt drivers could actually compete in NASCAR? I, I don't know if crashing takes talent, you know? Like... I can go out there and crash like that's that's not that hard to do but whether or not i'm going to live through it that's a different story so i tell you i have seen some vicious vicious wrecks in some of this um you know crash scenes and stuff like that that some of these crash dummy guys do and i am just like how do you sign up for that like I, it's the craziest thing in my mind that i'm like somebody wants to be paid to do that and they get out and they're like hell yeah you know they think it's cool so i'm just like wow Go for it, man. You got way more balls than I got. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, NASCAR released this montage of all your most memorable quotes and funniest moments from the everything's great comment to the pure talent comment. Which Kyle Busch moment do people quote at you the most? Right now, it's probably the, um, it's probably that crybaby emoji with the Skittle suit on from um, the Kyle Larson and I when, when he pulled a, tried to pull a slide job on me and I wrecked him in the last lap. Um, that one, because after the race was over, all the fans were booing me because I, I, I spun the guy out, which he hit me first. So I'm like, you know, when, when you punch somebody, you're going to punch him back. Right. Um, and so that's probably the, the one that gets played up the most right now, which I think my line after that was, 
if you don't like that kind of racing, don't even watch, you know? So um, that that's kind of been one of those that uh, has taken off lately. That was great. The crybaby thing, then that was, that should have been in a, like a movie. That should have been taken out of the Ricky Bobby movie because that was so cartoonish. It was awesome. One of your greatest moments, by the way. I appreciate that. I got a lot. So yeah, you talk about that. We call them the, the KFB greatest hits. That's what we call it. Do you know when you've created a mean moment or viral moment like that? Like, does it click right away? Um, more, more lately, I guess, than, than in the past. Yeah, I can, I can see that. In that moment, did I think I was creating one? No, not really. Because when, the, when, I, when I thought the quote in my head of, um, hey, if you don't like that kind of racing, don't even watch, like, that wasn't the first thing that I thought in my head. It's just what spit out of my mouth. So the one in my head was a little bit cleaner and a little bit nicer than that. But sometimes the, the brain and the mouth are disconnected. I want to talk to you about what you have on your hat right now, which is Rowdy Energy Drink. Yeah. How do you start an energy drink? There's so many out there. Not everybody's cashing in on whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic liquid drinks. How do you start one of these? Man, we can go on for days on this topic. I could fill you until you guys are absolutely bored to death of hearing the story of what this has entailed. But uh, in short, I guess I've had long running relationships with different companies in the in the line. And um, it just kind of materialized where I was like, you know what, I kind of want to come out with something healthier, cleaner, um, something that you feel good about drinking, something that my wife actually feels good about drinking as well, too. She's a health nut. She works out every single day. So um, we wanted to make something that was zero sugar, no preservatives and no chemicals, no dyes, no aspartame, no, none of that stuff. So all of our, our sugar sources and everything are all natural. Um, and so we have this amazing, we also wanted it to taste good. So there's other drinks out there that are on the market that I've tasted. We've done plenty of taste tests that I'm just like, who in their right mind is the buyer of this thing? That's going to buy it for the store to put it on the shelf. I'm like, this is disgusting. <laughs> You know, so that was one of my biggest things was I'm a, I am a guy of taste. Like it has to taste good. So um, it's been a fun project though. It's taken a lot of money. It's taken a lot of work and we're getting it there. Uh, Jeff Church, my CEO has done a phenomenal job of recruiting and hiring some really good people that we've been getting on board. And um, you know, we've gone through last year of just being in like 2000 doors as a startup and something that was majorly online to this year now we're already in 25,000 doors and hopefully by the end of the year we can be in around 35 to 40,000 doors and we call doors stores you know so like your Publixes, your Kroger's, your Food Lions, your Hy-Vee's, your Fairways, your grocery stores, C stores, all those sorts of things and so I don't know what the number is exactly I think it's like around 150 or 200,000 doors of potential that we feel like we can achieve and that would that would just be phenomenal. So we're, we're hoping to get that growth and, and we're growing pretty good so far. I always love hearing about the different celebrities that invest in enterprises like that. Do you end up picking up the phone and giving friends a call like Peyton Manning, your friend from the Denver Broncos and John Elway? Are you like, yeah. John, I got a great pitch for you. Yeah, uh, actually, I do. I, I have no shame in, in asking for money. So <laughs> I'm a ra I'm a race car driver who also needs sponsors to, to race with. So uh, us looking for money is, is one of the hardest things to do in our business. So now looking for money for one of my business ventures is another hardest thing I've ever done in my, in my life. So, but I do have a lot of great investors. I'll say, um, you know, Marcus Lemonis has gone public with his investment. He owns camping world stores across the country, as well as a bunch of other investments that he's done. He's on uh, CNBC, the profit. 
Um, he's a really cool guy and, and I've gotten to know him over the years. So he invested in, and, um, you know, there's another guy that owns a, a $4 billion business, uh, who's invested in it and, uh, a football owner, a football team owner that I'm friends with is invested in. So we've got some really good investors that have, that have paid in and it's really cool to see the brand growing and hopefully, uh, we can get them their return and then I can take over full ownership after the first, after the first couple of years. I feel like Kyle had his own personal shark tank moment here, I like did. pitching. It's awesome. Yeah. I was actually thinking about going on shark tank and I was like, wait a second, do I need shark tank to help me or could I be my own shark tank to help me? So that's kind of, you're right. That's where I stuck. Probably a good decision. Kyle, before we let you go here on the endless hustle, our mission is to discover how figures at the top of their profession continue to elevate. You've been in the racing biz for decades at this point. How have you continued to evolve your mindset both on and off the track? So I did win a championship in 2019. That was my second championship. Probably could have had four between 15 and 19, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, three, three, definitely. Um, but anyways, the, um, Right now, I'm, I, I'll admit, we're, well, I'm in a slump. I don't know what's going on, you know, and it's hard to figure out. I had a crew chief with me from 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and we should have won three or four championships in that time frame. And then him and I kind of separated. And now I have a new crew chief this year. And, and we've had decent cars for potentially fifth to 10th place runs, but nothing that's been like dominating anymore. You know, like those four or five years that I had with Adam Stevens, my crew chief, we were, we were domination. You know, we would lead a ton of laps. We'd finish top threes. If we lost a race, a third place was a loss, you know, right now it's hard to even get a damn fifth place finish. So still trying to figure that out. And like you said, you know, what's the mindset. So for me, it's like, you don't ever want to lose confidence, but when you're not winning and you're not winning regularly, it does beat you down. And so for me, I feel like I definitely have to figure out ways of, overcoming the adversity that we're under that uh, that we're going through, whether it's not having a good car, whether it's not being able to qualify, not being able to practice, which we don't have practice anymore right now. We just show up and race. And so that's been a big challenge for me because I, I'm OCD. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And so when I'm in my race car and I'm practicing, I'm able to pick all the little nuances that I feel in the car that aren't right and fix those things to where it's a really good car and I can go out there and perform well. Well, right now you have all those little nuances and little things that pop in your mind and, and you want to fix those, but it's in a race that you're trying to fix those problems. So you kind of have to put that out of your mind and forget about that and just deal with what you got and go, go get it, you know? And so it's, it's tough. And if I figure it out, man, you'll, you guys will be the first to see, but um, I, I haven't done it yet. So I've got my work cut out. You will. I have one final question. You always hear from elite athletes, no matter how much success they experience, they lose sleep over that one race, one match, one game that was lost in a heartbreaking fashion. What's the moment that you lose sleep over? Yeah, to me, I would say it's uh, 2017 Homestead. So that's in that year timeframe that I was talking about where I should have, could have, would have won uh, a championship. And in our series, you know, you race through the playoffs and you get to the final four. There's four guys in one race that race for a championship. And it's amongst the whole field of cars still. You still have 40 guys out there, but you're only racing against three others to, to pick up a championship. And anyways, long story short, Martin Shrix Jr. was the class of the field the whole season. Like he won eight races that year or something. And we had them beat in that Homestead race. Like me, Adam Stevens, the 18 M&M's team, we had those guys beat. We were in front of them and a caution comes out. They had just pitted and a caution comes out. And so they were able to, to 
um, cycle around and get back in front of me. And then I had to restart like third or fourth or something. And so on the restart, there was, I think, 20, 25 or 30 laps to go. And I got stuck behind a guy, one of those guys that I was talking about that blocks or drives through you or wrecks you or whatever and doesn't care. He was blocking me because him and I got into it earlier in the year and he didn't like me. So he held me up for 12 laps. Finally, I got by him. I ran Martin down, but in the time that it took me to run him down and the time that it took me to pass that guy, I burned my tires up. Like I didn't have anything left when I got there in order to make a move to make a pass. And so I finished second. Like I was on his bumper for the last five laps of the race and just couldn't figure it out. And that one to today still eats me because that's a championship. You know what I mean? Like a whole year's worth in those final 30 laps, I just couldn't get it done. And that's, that's, that's the most painful one I'll remember forever. Who's your Kyle Bush? Who's your biggest antagonist? <laughs> um, I guess his name is probably Joey Logano. I'd go with that guy. Sweet. Simple right. as that. <laughs> Say no more. You yeah. didn't have to think about that one. He's like Logano. <laughs> the content is out there for those who are confused by that. Yeah. But Kyle Bush, thank you so much for joining. You're doing great stuff. You're welcome back anytime. You are probably our favorite Bush brother. Man, fantastic. Probably <laughs> until, much until we have Kurt on the show next week. We'll be like, we love you, Kurt. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, thanks for a fantastic interview, Kyle. Yeah, no, it's been fun, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, look forward to hearing from you. I'll be sure to be on the lookout. I'll be sending you guys some rowdy energy. Give it a taste test for me. Yes. We're in. All right, folks, that was two-time NASCAR champion and one of the most beloved and unbeloved drivers on the NASCAR tour. One of the most unique personalities the, the tour has ever seen, Mr. Kyle Busch. Absolutely love this guy, Matt. We got into everything with him, and I love that no topic was left unturned. Yeah, I mean, you, he has this kind of infamous aura in the NASCAR, but when you sit down with him and he's talking about you know, his, his struggles with infertility and being a champion of his son, his son who he, who he made like a NASCAR course with in his backyard. I mean, you really got to see the full Kyle Busch. And for what it's worth, he sent us a 12-pack of these Rowdy Energy. I had one before I went for a run this weekend. Usually I go around four to five miles. I went six and a half after a Rowdy Energy. So Kyle Busch, you're making me a winner as well, buddy. Man, you're giving him another endless hustle plug and bump right there. All of a sudden, Rowdy Energy might overtake Red Bull and other energy drinks after your little soundbite there, Matt. The real question is, Matt, should we be asking for dividends if Rowdy Energy goes through the roof after us plugging it? I think it's pretty fair. I think it's pretty fair. At least they should come on as a presenting sponsor and, you know, at least, but... Um, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to take another one today and uh, you know, I, I don't want to give them too much credit after the first one. I got to see how the second one goes and then we'll roll from there. Be running 15 miles. I love <laughs> it. All right. Our next guest, one of the biggest stars in country music, one of the most authentic personalities that we've had so far on the show, Matt, we've talked to a number of different country music personalities, including Brett Young, Russell Dickerson, some really great names. Dustin Lynch was one of those guys that you're engaged, Matt, so you're not going to get this the way I do, but I'm a single guy and I'm always living vicariously through other single guys who are much more famous and much more rich than I am. So listening to the lifestyles, the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous starring Dustin Lynch on this episode was really, really awesome. 
I also loved him just breaking down. I mentioned this at the top of show, breaking down the best types of tequila, because after our conversation with him, I did try a couple of the different tequilas and I had to agree. I thought he did almost like a sommelier breakdown of these tequilas. Also just understanding the, the roots of why people make the decisions they do. Ultimately, when you're in college, as we all look back on our college years, you have decisions to make. Do you want to become a surgeon? Do you want to become a librarian? Do you want to become a country music star? Dustin's breakdown on why he decided to become a musician was freaking awesome. And I think you and I just related to it on the most primordial of levels. Yeah, I mean, how about his Collinsworth story, partying with Chris Collinsworth? He peels back the onion on on Collinsworth out on the dance floor, which I thought was just some intel that I don't know if it's that's floating around on the internet. I think that was an endless hustle break. So prepare for the uh, Chris Collinsworth tale there. Breaking news, Chris Collinsworth likes to dance. Brought to you by Endless Hustle. Everyone's gonna love this chat. Here you go, guys. Country music superstar, Dustin Lynch. We are thrilled to have on the Endless Hustle today, country superstar and creator of the new Smash single, Thinking About You, Mr. Dustin Lynch. Thanks for making the time, Dustin. Hey, thank you guys for having me. No problem. Where does this podcast find you? I'm actually at the house in Nashville. Uh, um, yeah, we're ha- we're, we've got a big day ahead of us, taping some new content actually out on the water for some, some new music we'll be releasing soon. And um, yeah, it's going to be a fun day. Awesome. I've actually never been to Nashville. I've heard it's incredible. Can you can you confirm or deny? I think this will be home forever for me, at least um, the main the, the home base. Uh, I can't ever see myself wanting to move out of Nashville. I've got um, I've got a farm close by, too, which which is another reason to stay here. But um, it, it's I moved here, you know, chasing a dream when I was, gosh, 18 years old. And uh, it's just, it's changed my life in so many ways. And, and I have so much fun to, to watch this town grow like it is. It's one of the fastest growing cities I think we have right now in the country. Um, the food game is just going through the roof. We're getting a lot of new restaurants, a lot of great new bar scenes um, than we've ever had. And, and, and you can just feel it, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to be a part of a town that's growing like that and, and learning new things. And um, I've got, a, I've got a lot of going out to do in the, in the near future for sure. How does it compare to Austin? Because that's a city that I've been to and I kind of put them in the same ballpark. Yeah, I mean, you could yeah. you could kind of compare the two. I think Nashville is uh, it's, it's different for sure. Um, I would I would say thematic wise with with the bars, you see you see Austin try a few things. And if it works, Nashville attempts to adopt, you know, the concept a couple years later. So. I, but but it's completely different. I think the music scene is completely different. You do have a lot of live music in both places, but um, I think our music scene is is more uh, commercially driven. Uh, when, and I'm talking about nightlife wise, uh, where Austin's a little bit more rootsy and and original. Um, I feel like Nashville really um, tries to cater to those bachelorette parties the best they can. Yeah, Broadway <laughs> baby, Broadway <laughs> Avenue. That's it. So Matt and I were actually talking before you jumped on about how you did this blind audition for the feature on the song. And we both thought that was super cool. How did that idea originate? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, out of necessity, I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't figure out a way to, to find the, the, the right person without being pulled in one direction or another based on 
you know, who the artist was, they're, they're following their camp They're you know, and, and I was having a tough time with going, okay, let's do what's best for the song. And what's best for the song is do a blind audition. And I'm not going to know who the artists are submitting, hopefully based on their vocal. Um, and, and that way I pick what's best for the song. Cause that's what we needed. And so I had my team remove all the names and, and we, we put out into the Nashville creative community that, you know, Hey, we need a collab. Um, it's got to be released in this window. If you're available, submit. And we, I think we ended up getting like six submissions from, from different female artists and, and they were all numbered in a folder for me. And I got to town just listening and living with them. And um, I kept coming back to this one version. I was playing it for my friends and, and my team. We all kind of gravitated towards this one version ended up being Mackenzie's version. Yeah. I mean, she was, she's great on it. Angelic voice, but you, you had mentioned it kind of, was there any thought of, you know, hey, if I end up choosing a little known artist, I won't be able to amplify the song in a way that I would with someone with more of a rabid following. Yeah, you you would think that'd be the case, but, I, but I'd love the idea of, of creating a platform for someone new to town. Um, and and I, I just, those moments are so huge in my career. I can look back on, you know, and count the artists that have really kind of stepped out and gone, hey, come on tour with me. Hey, let me, let me put you on this TV show with me. Hey, and so... I was in a position to do that. And, um, and, and also I will say with, with the releasing and getting another artist and their village lined up with my, my plan, um, a younger artist is a lot easier to do than, you know, someone who's established that's got all these crazy balls in motion. So um, it, it just, it all worked out for the best. And, and now we're already seeing with the song being released and, and how it's connecting. Um, it all happened for a great reason. And, and working with Mackenzie has been such a pleasure. So I got to tell you, I'm incredibly disappointed in you because you got rid of the mullet and I am a member. <laughs> I am a full member of the mullet club right now. I've got a massive mullet and these guys were critiquing me, especially Matt, because mine comes out like way to the side and he's like, you got to cut it. So I've got to ask a former member of the mullet club. Do you think it's too much on the sides? No, dude, keep it going. Mine actually, before I cut mine, mine was, mine was out. You know, I've got a ton of hair. Mine was out in here. The problem I had is I couldn't keep a hat on it and I would, um, you know, we're, we're approaching getting to get back on stage where the cowboy hat needs to come back on. And, um, and it, 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 I get, you know, when I'm jumping around stage, it, it's a, a bit of a workout. So having to deal with fooling with a hat and pull it down, it's tough to play the guitar and pull your hat down all the time. So I was like, let's trim it back. Summer months are coming, man. I'm going to be on the water a lot. I don't want that stuff floating in my, in my face. You know, I want to be able to drink a beer without, without it getting in my mouth. What did you do with the hair? Because I feel like you could put that on eBay and sell it for like 50 grand. You didn't just throw it. You away. know, we, <laughs> we, uh, well, it, it came off in two phases. The first phase was for the photo shoot um, for the Think About You cover art. And then that wasn't enough for the video. So we, we cut it again for the video. And since then I've had another trim. So we've had three phases, I guess, of the hair going away. And uh, no, there wasn't any sort of creepy uh, <laughs> storing of the hair. Um, it, yeah, it's, who knows where it is it's floating floating around somewhere in a land business thing. opportunity dustin right we could, yeah we could raise some money for charity or something i don't know another thing that i think is actually really cool is you're getting your pilot's license and i know dirks bentley has his and you guys are boys first of all where did this whole idea originate to go fly planes because i personally would be scared out of my mind even though i love flying but having my own life in my hands and others forget about it so where did it start they, hey and you're spot on. I am scared, you know, which I think is a good thing. Cause if you, if you're scared of it, you're going to do what's right and make sure you don't skip any steps. But um, yeah, I, I would love to be a member of the dude air 
uh, you know, community one of these days. I'm, I am hard at work at my pilot's license. I'm, I'm getting close. I could, I could get us up. I could take us off, take us somewhere and land us right now safely, 100%. So that's exciting. Um, I just want to make sure I'm really proficient before I start doing it on a regular basis by, my, by myself. Um, the dream came from a trip with a buddy that loves aviation. He's got several planes. And I was just kind of asking, I was, I was putting some feelers out there, like, at what point does this make um, logistical sense for you and your companies? And, and does it ever make money sense? The answer is no. Um, it's an expensive hobby. Um, and he, you know, he, he could tell I was interested. So he just suggested, look, go up for a test flight, see if you like it. I'd never been on a, a really small, you know, four-seater type plane. Um, that was, that was in November of, of 2020. He kept bugging me week after week. He called me and just kept bugging me. Like, as your flight sponsor, I'm checking in. Have you been on your test ride? I'm like, no, I'm still thinking about it. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to do this. And then he called me one night and said, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'm sending you one of my airplanes to Nashville and you're going to learn how to fly it. And uh, I was like, I can't turn this down because hopefully for the rest of my career, I won't have the time that I've had on my hands uh, these past several months. And so I was like, let's take advantage of this time off the road. And, uh, you know, with my buddy Mark sending me a plane to learn in, well, we got to take advantage of that. So off to the races I went, it's going great. It's been such a great adventure and, and a way to turn, you know, a side of my brain I haven't used in a long time back on because there's a lot of studying, you know, the, the, the written tests and, and learning the physics of flying and all that stuff is, is pretty strenuous. So back in school, I go, I'm studying every night and it's been a fun process. What was it like the first time that you took the wheel solo? And you knew, oh my God, this is it. Like I would, I would have probably started crying like a little boy. Yeah. It, it honestly was the first time I went up, which shocked me. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. I was scared to death. I was honestly a little bit motion sick because I wasn't used to it. And, but your brain's telling you as you're flying, your brain's telling you, oh, I'm not doing this. He's doing this because your instructor's next to you. But then you realize, wait a second, that was me and I can pull it off. Um, it's still very nerve wracking coming in and making sure. I'm more scared to embarrass myself uh, talking to air traffic control and other pilots, you know, on my approach than I am about wrecking. It's just one of those, I guess it's an ego thing and you don't want to sound like a dummy, but communication is so key when you're in the air because um, I'm still, I'm still flying, you know, visually. And so um, I'm, my head's on a swivel looking for other traffic and communicating with other pilots from where they're at. So it's a lot that goes into it, a lot of communication, but it's a fun language to learn. I want to talk about your, your other career that, I, you never ended up pursuing, but you were planning on going to medical school, if I'm not mistaken. Was there a, a seminal moment for you when you knew that becoming a musician was worth pursuing? Yeah, I, th I think that was kind of a snowball type of, of decision for me. It, it just, it was one of those God things where I think doors continued to open and started, you know, kind of pushing me in certain directions. And all through college, I was really kind of adding to my set list, to my catalog of song, cover songs that I knew. And as a college kid, man, when you start getting paid to go to frat parties and sorority events, it's like, wait a second, I get to go be on stage in front of this sorority full of beautiful, you know, University of Georgia sorority girls um, and, and they're paying me um, and I'm getting some phone numbers at the end of the night. It's like the best job ever. And so it's like, how can, how can being a surgeon be better than this scenario? I couldn't figure out a way to, can't. to uh, convince me. Yeah, exactly. So I told my parents after college, I was making, uh, really good money at the time I was, I was playing a lot of frat parties. They were, they were paying some good dough cause it's their parents' money. And then, uh, we were playing a lot of wedding receptions, which were paying well, man, I was making rent. I was buying my friends, you know, drinks and having fun. And at 21 years old, it's like, this is awesome. 
um, why go to real work? So I just told my parents, you know what? I, I got accepted to med school. I, I studied my butt off. I worked hard at, at that, but I needed to chase the what if. What if I can do this for a living for, you know, my whole life? And thank God I listened to my gut, you know, because I'm having a blast. I'm living, living my dreams. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Although we gained a country superstar, we lost arguably the world's next great cardiothoracic surgeon. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to argue that, but uh, I don't, you know, I don't know to, to get that title. I would have to probably still be in school. So that pro I probably would have opted out and gone more of a general route. So just out of curiosity, how much were those uh, frat parties paying you on average? On average, it just depended. It, it, honestly, we were we were anywhere from some of the most fun shows we had was like a tailgate party before uh, UT Knoxville football game, right? So huge SEC rivalry. You're up at 10 a.m. playing music, catching a buzz, get a paycheck, and then go watch the game with everybody else. Those those were going for you know, a couple grand or something. Um, and then our bigger parties were up and, you know, like the five grand range. And when you're knocking out a couple, three of those, you know, a week, a handful a month, man, as a 21 year old kid, you know, I'm paying my guys cash and the rest is going to rent and whatever else fun, man. It was, it was a great living um, back then. I have no idea what they're paying now. I assume uh, the same or better. And honestly, we've been able to scale as musicians, you know, you can, you can really scale um, back on production and, and, you know, with a lot, a lot of the DJ game going out, it's just a one man show. Right. So there's no, there's no paying a drummer and a bass player and two guitar players and all that. Uh, those guys come in plug in and play. And I bet they're, I bet they're living high. I actually don't have a question. I have a favor. Can I just get free tickets to this Las Vegas pool party you're throwing? It looks incredible. Hell yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, Hell yeah. We would love that. He's not ready. Honestly. Honestly. I, um, yeah, no, we honestly, we'd love to have you guys. It's going to be uh, an absolute awesome time. And I know that because this is a, uh, the pool situation is something we've brought from Mexico. This is our first time bringing it to the States in Las Vegas. And uh, it's, it's the most ridiculous show we do each year and, and party we do. There's no set list. There's no rules. We let the crowd dictate what we play. Most of the time it's cover songs, just big party anthem songs. And um, just, you know, you catch a buzz and ride the wave and see where you end up. I want to ask you as an artist, you've pretty much done everything at this point. You've been on every major talk show. You've had number one hits. You've won awards. You've done all the great stuff. So for you, when was the I made it moment? When was like a moment where you were like, man, this actually happened for me? Something that still doesn't feel real is, is getting asked and, and getting inducted to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry. That's one of those deals where um, Reba McIntyre's on stage, you know, and inviting me and inducting me to be a member of, of this family and this uh, organization that, um, you know, in the country music community is, in my opinion, the top of the mountain. Um, to get to be, to have a home base like that and, and a family of artists around me supporting me is, is really cool. I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of big TV moments where it's stuff you just grow up watching and, and now you're trying not to screw up, you know, on live television because you don't want to be that guy and that artist. So yeah, I, I, there's, there's each year, there's moments where it's like, how did this, how did we get here? You know, um, my favorite moment of 2020, I think of how did I get here moment was, was my first show after lockdown and it was at the Grand Ole Opry and I'm on stage with Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani and Trace Atkins. And it's like me, like, what am I doing up here with these guys? You know? And, um, there's just, uh, you know, I don't, it, it I've learned to teach myself, live in the moment, enjoy those moments, you know, don't get, don't worry about how you do too much, just enjoy. And um, 
that's, I think, a learned skill that a lot of us artists have to teach ourselves is, is don't freak out. You know, you're there for a reason because you deserve to be and enjoy the moment. Did I, I may be wrong here, but did I read somewhere that Reba was actually your celebrity crush? Yeah, she's a, she's the best man. And, and we've had a, a, an awesome last several years of, of communication, just of her reaching out, congratulating me along the way of milestone. She's the class act, man. She's, and that's why I love her so much. It's like, man, the, the level of class and grace and, and just presence that she has when she's in a room, she just commands um, good vibes. When she walks in, man, everybody just lights up and feels good. And I think that that's such a, an awesome skill set or, or whatever her aura is, man, that's contagious. I think we, it's something we all, you know, should strive to be like. She's a legend. Arthur mentioned the, all the shows you've been featured on Seth Meyers, Jimmy Kimmel, Conan, Good Morning America. I'm curious, which show has the best backroom setup? Is there like a hospitality wars going on? <laughs> hosts? Oh gosh. Well, the morning shows, um, you know, those are early for us because it's, you know, a lot of it's East, East Coast. So that's, that's usually just a coffee type of deal, but you get into your late night shows and, and uh, you know, Kimball's got a, a, a pretty awesome bar downstairs and uh, you know, being in LA, I've got a lot of great close friends out there. I'll invite them out. They're great on, on about, you know uh, you know, the guest list, letting you have some guests back and, and backstage. And so you get the, get the friend crew down there, man, get the beers flowing. Um, they're pouring shots, whatever. That's a great vibe before a TV show. And, a lot of times that crowd, you know, we've done the inside stage and the outside, but the outside is, is legit like a show right at sunset, man. It's a great vibe. You catch a little buzz inside and then go, go film some TV, man. It's, there's, there's nothing better than that. I want to switch gears for a second because I know your dad is a former Gator. You're a kid from Tennessee. You went to Georgia. You talk about an SEC identity crisis, but I know you're a Gator fan. So was there, was there ever any indecision like I'm from Tennessee I've got to love Tennessee like how do you how do you reconcile this whole thing well yeah back in the day that rivalry the Tennessee Florida rivalry was something that uh, one of the strongest I would say and um, I had to be a closet Gator fan 100% you know there was no wearing Gator merch at all growing up since then um, moved to Nashville Nashville's a big melting pot right so and Tennessee has sucked for about two decades now. So uh, it's, it's not such a crime to wear other teams in Tennessee now. Um, so you, you see a lot of Florida Gator gear here now. And um, there was no choice. I mean, there's literally, I had no option but to be Gator. Mom and dad, both huge Gator fans. My whole, my whole you know, both sides of that, of their families are huge Gator fans. So orange and blue through and through. And um, we've got to do a lot of fun things with, with the Gators. I, I got to go down. Um, and, and I discovered years ago, but, but Chris Collinsworth, who a lot of us know, um, and my dad were big buds and, and lived down the hall from each other in college. So we got to reconnect down there and did a, a, a special with ESPN. I got to flip the coin, um, run out onto the field in the swamp. And my dad was trying to prepare me for that, that amount of energy and noise. Um, and, and we got to play a lot of stadiums, um, you know, and, and whether it's festivals or we did two years of Luke Bryan in the NFL stadiums and baseball, MLB parks, but running out just that, uh, that energy man and the, the decibel level of game day in the swamp. Uh, it makes my hair stand up right now thinking about it. It was nuts. I felt like a gladiator. I was going out there to, you know, battle to the death and all I'm doing is flipping a coin, but uh, it was intense. And, a, you know, one of those great bucket list moments, you know, kind of pinch me moments that I got to share with my dad and, and Chris and, um, some of their older teammates. 
I've gotten to interview Chris a bunch of times. One of the most cerebral and thoughtful guys to interview on the planet. What's the other side of Chris? What's the personal goofy side that you maybe got to experience? <laughs> well, the man loves to party. Um, I don't think we get to see that side. He can he can host a great event, and that's that's really how I met Chris. Um, he got a hold of my phone number, and his son. His son, uh, I think, kind of had an impossible schedule to, to finish college in four years. And he had a deal. He said, look, before he started college, he said, if you finish in four years, if I don't have to pay for a fifth year of college, you can throw an epic party. And his son was like, well, what's an epic party? And he's like, well, you know, whatever musician you want to come play at the house, we'll throw a big party. And it was a, ended up being a theme party. Um, Jack went to Notre Dame. So it was gold. It was a gold party. Uh, he could pick any artist for whatever reason he picked me. And uh, we got to go play at their house at this gold theme party. Everything was gold, gold outfits, um, all Notre Dame. And it was just an epic night. I got to take my parents up there. They got to reconnect. We had a blast. And uh, the man's got some dance moves. So, yeah, he can host a party and uh, he can move on the dance floor pretty good. Oh, my God. My dad gave me a Casio watch when I graduated. And he gets a party <laughs> at Dustin Lynch. Give me I got to call him after this. Jesus. Right. Sunday night Come football on. money, baby. Sunday night football That's money. It. That's, a, that's a different level, boys. <laughs> we spoke with uh, Brett Young, and I'm interested to see kind of where the genesis of this happened. He said he would steal the little known boys to men songs in high school and sing them to his love interest as his own, like pretending that he wrote them. And oh, Do you remember great, using man. your musical talents in a similar way growing up? Because I feel like if I had that talent, that's all I do. I was about 125 pounds soaking wet in high school. So I wasn't, I wasn't about to get on the football field. So I had to figure out, okay, after the football games, um, clearly, clearly the football players are going to get, you know, their first shot at talking to the girls at, at the after party. So I was like, what can I do? And I picked up the guitar, man. And that was, it was game over, right? Once you, once you start playing a John Mayer song, your body is a wonderland or something back in the day. <laughs> the attention goes straight to the guy with the guitar. So uh, for me, it was, yeah, I think it was it was a lot of John Mayer back in the day. Um, Lifehouse was was a uh, kind of a knockout punch that I could throw on them. Some of you those some bangers. Well, not even the bangers, like some of those album cuts that most people didn't know you could you could you know pull off, and um, even even some Incubus stuff. Man, it, it worked like a charm. So I think for myself, you know, you start getting you start getting that gratification um, early on, and, and people start giving you you know paying attention and. Um, even girls ahead of you in high school start talking to you. It's like, whoa, this is game changer, man. This is, this is, it's a drug that gets addicting, right? You love that reaction and, um, and crutch, if you will. We always hear these stories about Drake performing at bar mitzvahs. We had golfer Kevin Na on the podcast and he said Kenny G performed at his wedding. Uh, have, do you have any obscure requests to perform at a private event or someplace kind of off the wall? Yeah, we, we've done a lot of, uh, we've done a lot of terrible things for um, athletes, you know, that they have their organizations that they believe in and, and support. And those are always fun to go do just, just to chum it up, mix it up with, you know, whether it's a, a NBA team or yeah, pro golfers um, to see those guys let loose and have fun. And, and, and honestly um, realize that, that guys, you don't think like country music or know who you are, that you watch dunk all the time uh, when they know every single word to your songs, it's, it's an amazing feeling. So yeah, you end up uh, each year, you end up with a couple of, of really cool settings, you know, that, that you wouldn't imagine, I think, at the start of the year being in and, and entertaining, you know, guys that we all wake up and drink coffee to and watch on ESPN. 
So I want to ask you as a tequila aficionado, because I know tequila is your favorite drink. I just started getting into tequila. I was a lifelong vodka guy. Give me your tequila rankings and what I should be drinking. Okay. Um, gosh, I wish I could walk downstairs and see. I would, I would start with uh, Classe Azul would, would probably start at the top. And that's going to be your, I don't know, your taller blue and white porcelain looking bo- uh, bottle that's got a bell on top. That's always fun. Yep. Um, I would probably put that at my favorite. And, and the reason that's my favorite is I can, I can just throw it on ice. Um, or if you're feeling like really ki- getting kickstarted, just shoot it. Uh, it's really smooth. It's really sweet. I love a Reposado. So anything Reposado, like my everyday tequila, um, if, if me and the boys are, you know, just going to have drinks before the show, we usually have one shot before we hit the stage. And it's usually Don Julio Reposado um, as our like everyday tequila. It's, it finishes kind of vanilla-ish, honey-ish. Um, I wouldn't put that too, though. Number two would probably be Julio 1942, I think. Although there was a time in life where I think I had too many late nights in Vegas drinking 42, and uh, it, it got, I think it got removed from the list. So, but I think it's made its way back. <laughs> so I always say class is all 42 second. Um, believe it or not, I love a tequila called uh, Cadigo, which is uh, George Strait is uh has his hand in um and uh yeah that would probably be my top three right now i'd say if you go downstairs to my bar that's probably what what i would what i would pour you um that's on premise here so there's you there's your three to try out that was a heck of a breakdown man that was actually really impressive i was expecting like a really you know generic like ah do some don julio this was great (laughs) Those are all under 20 bucks too. Cause that's, that, that's Arthur's price range. It's all under 20 bucks and in plastic bottles, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's no, that's no bueno, man. <laughs> that's asking for a bad headache. I, that's one thing I've learned. You know what, if you, if, if you can uh, step up the te- tequila game, you'll never have another hangover in your life. If you get the good stuff. Yeah. Dustin, one of the missions of this podcast before we let you go is to talk to successful people like you and kind of figure out how you continue to elevate. What habits do you incorporate into your life that, you know, can keep you elevating in different facets of your life over time? Yeah, something I continue to practice um, and remind myself is it's all we're all in our own race and not to compare yourself or your your path in life to anyone else's because timing's everything, especially in music. Um, it's easy to go, well, man, why didn't I get nominated for that? Or why didn't I do this or that? Focus on you and surround yourself with, um, you know, people that are like-minded and have the same goals and, and make sure that um, everybody knows what the objective is on your team, right? And, and stay focused on that. And each, each day we can get better. And um, if you're focused on getting better each day and you set out tasks to get better each day, it's easy to celebrate wins. I mean, as simple as waking up and going for a walk or waking up and getting 10 minutes of gratitude and meditation in, or, or all of a sudden you, you look up and it's 9 a.m. or whatever time it is in the day. And it's like, whoo, we've already had two wins, you know, and it, that's great to build on. I think starting your day with easy tasks like that, where you can go, I won, I won, um, allows me to get in the headspace of winning more when it comes to creating or when it comes to, you know, doing whatever business deal. Um, that was a lot of stuff, but that's kind of my everyday practice of, of just making sure that I'm focused on getting better, whether it be music or whether it be going out and catching a fish or whether it be going out and farming, whatever it is I'm up to that day. Um, it's all about having, having a list. It's something my granddad taught me. He didn't teach me. It's just what he did. And, and um, he's like my life goal. 
And so he always had a list, man, on like a, a yellow legal pad of, of his to-dos, right? And each one you get to check off as a win during the day. And at the end of the day, with all of those wins, you can't help but enjoy dinner and a cold beer. Well said. Go listen to Thinking About You People. Go listen to Telehoma if you want to get in a good mood. Dustin Lynch, thank you so much for joining. You're amazing. Welcome back anytime. Yeah, dude, you're awesome. My pleasure, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me. All right, folks, that is Dustin Lynch. Matt, plug his new single. So Dustin's got a new single. I've listened to it. It's a great song. Some are saying it's the song of the summer, but it's Thinking About You with Mackenzie Porter. So what he did is he brought, he basically crowdsourced who was going to be featured on this. And Mackenzie Porter, without even knowing kind of, you know, blind testing, she won out. And I think she's a great fit for the song. So listen to Thinking About You by Dustin Lynch and Mackenzie Porter. And also subscribe to Endless Hustle. So do us both a favor. By the way, I'm going to be in Nashville over Memorial Day weekend. Do you think, Matt, it would be creepy if I reached out to Dustin Lynch and try to hang out with him? Or Brett Young's married, so I don't think he's, you know, hangout material. But Dustin, man, can you imagine me and Dustin getting after it in Nashville? Do it for the content. Do it for the, just reach out. And even if he says no, at least we can talk about it on, on the show. Do it for the gram. Oh my God. I will absolutely just be like, Dustin, I need you for like three minutes just so we can take a picture for the gram and prove that we're somewhat friends after this. Oh, that would be hilarious. All right. By the way, guys, we have a triple header this Thursday. One of our biggest episodes ever, Matt. And talk about three guests. When you bring three guests from different arenas together in a unique format, this is probably one of the most unique pairings we've ever had. Uh, well, I, well, pairings would be two. What would be a, a, a threesome, I guess? Is this this is actually a foursome, no? We have Drew McIntyre, we have Tariq El, El Moussa, and then we have the myth, Mythic Quest, Robert McElhaney and Charlotte Nickdow, right? Yeah, did you just call him Robert McElhaney? It's Rob McElhaney. I ask his mom. His mom will say it's Robert. How funny would it be if after listening to this, all of a sudden he changes his Hollywood name to Robert, Robert McElhaney. Yeah, no, we have a foursome. We have a golf foursome next episode. Monster, monster episode. So tune in. All right, let's give him the plugs, Matt, and get him out of here. Okay, subscribe to Endless Hustle wherever you listen to podcasts. Watch the episodes on Bro Bible's YouTube channel and keep up with the latest in sports, entertainment, and lifestyle on BroBible.com. Follow us on socials at BroBible, that's on Twitter and on Instagram. And follow our Endless Hustle accounts at Endless Double Underscore Hustle on Twitter and at Endless Hustle Pod on Instagram. We're posting all of the juiciest clips from every episode. You can follow me on Twitter as well, Mr. Kohan, K-E-O-H-A-N, and follow my friend Artie. I'm at Arthur Cade on Twitter, at It's Me, Arthur Cade on Instagram. We're back on Thursday with a monster episode, a big foursome, Rob McElhaney, Charlotte Nickdow, two-time WWE champion, Drew McIntyre, and the king of HGTV, Tarek Al Musa. We'll see you guys Thursday. Peace.